Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 945. Um, I'm going to be in Denver, Colorado, downtown club, Comedy Works, one of my favorite clubs in the country. It's fantastic. Uh, and I'll be there with Mike Furman and April Richardson doing shows the April 5th, 6th, and 7th in this year, 2018. Um, a couple of the shows are sold out, so I don't know how many tickets are left. So if you want to go, grab those. Just go to the Comedy Works website. Google it, Comedy Works. Chris Hardwick, it's there. Come see us. April 5, 6, 7. Katie Levine, I feel like there's some sort of corkboard, some sweet corkboard action over there that you might have some info on. There is. Uh, Jason Wood writes... I'm reaching out to, to your community corkboard because I started my own pin business about a year and a half ago as a side hustle, but it's evolved into a more full-time role in my life. Getting out of the bar business has been a blessing on me and my family. With your guidance and motivation, I've been able to grow my business to heights I didn't think possible. I've been gaining clients by using my contacts from previous work and marketing companies and the brands they support. I'm working on building a website and growing my company, uh, but right now you can find me at at 1979designs on Instagram, and uh, I take orders from there. And I looked at his pins, and they're really great. They're so cool. That's fantastic. They're very, like, uh, kind of retro and cool looking. Love it. And then Katie Christ, I think is how you pronounce it, writes, My husband Mark and I have been listening to your podcast for years. Mark has always talked about wanting to be his own boss, and after listening to you push people to make a thing, he took the plunge and officially started a business last fall. His company is called Gunflint Designs. The name is taken from the Gunflint Trail in northern Minnesota. He makes things, uh, mallets, cutting boards, pizza cutters, cigar holders, step stools, pens, cabinets, whatever, out of wood harvested from his grandfather's farm. Uh, his work is beautiful, and his YouTube channel is growing. His YouTube channel is Gunflint Designs. His Instagram is at Gunflint underscore designs, and his website is at GunflintDesigns.com. Excellent. Thank you, Katie. Let me, do you have anything you want to promote for you personally? Uh, adopt, don't shop. <laughs> adopt animals uh, especially like you know right now the, the, the all the LA shelters are really full especially with dogs if you are looking to adopt or if you want to foster even for a little bit you know go to go to the shelters or the Downey or the Riverside shelter uh, those those ones are especially high kill so just adopt an animal excellent Don't buy an animal you're a very selfless person I appreciate that <laughs> I would have said I have a show coming up or something but you do it for the animals <laughs> I salute you, Katie Levine. This episode is Ed Helms' fourth appearance. We determined yeah, fourth. We've been doing this podcast a long time. It's not uncommon <laughs> that you know Ed, Ed. I guess Ed comes on every two years. Um, but uh, Ed, uh, old friend of mine, comedy friend. Uh, you know, I mean, what was in the office? He was in The Hangover. He's been in, he's been in a million things, and now he's in a dramatic movie that Gaffigan's also in, Chappaquiddick, yep. uh, which is in theaters April sixth. So go see that. Support Ed. Support support comedians doing dramas. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of other people in the movie, too. But, you know, I'm just focused on Ed right now because he's the guest. Uh, so this is Ed Helms, the ID10T podcast number 945. Katie, please roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. This is your third time on the podcast, third or fourth? Maybe third. Might be third. This is a triple. 
This is the, this is the three for. I think it's a. I think it's the third to my recollection. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think the first time was maybe right around. Are you still doing bluegrass situation? Uh, yeah, but in different forms. Um, this is the this is the time where I should have known better than to come on. It's like <laughs> it's like you do it once. It's like uh, what is this saying? Um, the once once bitten twice no Twi- no fool me shy. once fool me once, once. <laughs> fool me twice <laughs> fuck me ah, I guess yes and now here here I am again and now you're here one more time and wh- this time though you're not going to be allowed to leave I don't know I'll if- never learn nope nope this is four this is four okay we were both wrong <laughs> what so the first time must have been around bluegrass situation which was several years ago now. 2011, that was right around yeah. the progress situation wow. time at Largo. It was at That's Largo right. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wait, so uh, is when does this air? Thir- this goes up soon. Oh, great. Because cool. Chappaquiddick's coming out. Yeah, that's right. The movie you're coming in. Out, but also, since, since you brought up Bluegrass Situation, um, th- so the Bluegrass Situation is like an online hub of Bluegrass community, Roots mm-hmm. Music in general. Yep. And... Um, and now we're more just in the mode of kind of like uh, producing shows around town. The festival thing was really tough because um, there are a hundred million. I think at last count there were a hundred million music festivals. About a hundred million in yeah. the Los Angeles area. LA is a tough yeah. market to do anything. Um, and so that. So, but now, but actually, this Friday is a tribute to Jerry Garcia at the at the theater at the Ace Hotel. Oh wow! It's a bluegrass situation event. So it's so it is a, it is bluegrass versions of Jerry Garcia. Not songs? so much. I mean, but like the bluegrass situation is is a is a despite the name has kind of a broader oeuvre than than just bluegrass. So it's it's people in the roots community. Uh, the Watkins will be there and and many others. Um, You've just made me think that I want to pull up a one of my favorite covers of all time. Uh, is is a Grateful Dead uh, bluegrass cover, which, hang on, here we go. That you did? Uh, no, I did not. Rice, oh, wait, where'd it go? Rice, Rice, Hilleman, and Peterson. Oh, of course, yeah. Herb Peterson, and yeah, that's... I mean, Grateful Dead songs kind of lend themselves... A lot of them do. A lot of them were traditional old, old tunes. Do you know this cover? I don't know this one, but I know these guys, and that's an awesome. I like it. I like what I'm hearing. I just might get some, some sleep tonight. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one of the times, one of the first times we had talked about bluegrass is I had mentioned all these songs that would sound great as bluegrass covers, and you were like, well, that's sort of a. Like a trope, yeah. In a way, that, yeah. I mean, it's not a, not a being subgenre, yes. Of yeah, that 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 is that is definitely bluegrass, but maybe not necessarily like to the purest, like true, yeah. true, true bluegrass. Well, it's funny. It's it's the kind of thing where everyone I think who does it's like acapella covers of things. Like everyone who does it, it it's a guilty pleasure. Right. It's like everyone scoffs at it, but they love it anyway. Right. And and I even as a bluegrass musician, like I love playing. I mean, we did uh, we did the Celine Dion song together. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, which uh, was one of the most fun things from ever. Titanic. Yeah, the love, yeah. Um, 
And and so it's just it's always like uh God, that'd be cool to if we I'm sure I got a recording of that somewhere. Um <laughs> that was do, that was epic. If you have that, I'll tack it on to the end of this podcast. Okay. If, right, you, if you have it. it somewhere. That was a really fun uh, that I'll was a really fun it. show. But you know, like Chris Thiele and Gnome uh do do they do amazing covers of Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of what what they're really smart about is they'll do like like they do Radiohead. Or yeah, they, they or the do strokes. Like, yeah, they'll do sort of songs that aren't kitschy. Right. Like the kitschy ones are like uh like hair metal songs. Right. Like, like what we did. Right. <laughs> and like uh and just sort of but it also depends on the execution. Like the Punch Brothers, uh Chris and, and Noam and all those guys they're at such a virtuoso level that that they're doing a kind of like incredibly artistic interpretation of a song, undoubtedly, as opposed to just kind of like, you know, uh, listen to this uh, Def Leppard tune with a banjo, right? And that, which is a little bit of a different thought, a different approach. And I don't know, it, like I said, there it's all it, it's easy to scoff at, but. It's always fun. I mean, and Nickel Creek does a great... They, they did a Spit on a Stranger uh, pavement cover, oh. which is phenomenal. Yeah. But, you know, again, I, I think the reason that blue, bluegrass lends itself to covers is because uh, a good bluegrass cover, I feel like, reveals the true musical quality of any song mm. in any genre. Mm-hmm. Because it... You know, again, when you think about where bluegrass started and how it started, it's like... You know, we need to have the most basic rudimentary tones yeah. on every level. It's like we need a high tone, we need a low bass tone, yeah. we need it, and so it just breaks everything down to a very rudimentary level, and is very um, also orchestral are, in a yeah, way. Yeah, and these are simple instruments. So yeah. the, the original. It's uh, redneck chamber music. Is what it is. It is redneck chamber music. Hillbilly <laughs> exactly. chamber music. Folk musicians were not necessarily known for accumulating. Mass amounts of wealth. So, so these Except were. Except for a little man named Jed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's true. Poor um, Mountaineer. I don't know if you knew he really yeah. kept his family fed. Yeah. Black gold. Texas tea, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. Well, that's my um, But uh, yeah. So, so you're right. I, and I, I remember trying to describe it to my cousin one time who, who, who was trying, who was like just learning an instrument. And I was like, and he was sending me a recording. Ah, what do you think of this? And I was like, well, you know, it'll be. It'll be so great when you add a guitar and a bass. I think he was playing a mandolin, and and he was asking, "Well, what what do those different instruments add? What's the deal?" And you're right; it is the it's like the guitar is the thick chord. Mm-hmm. The guitar sort of provides that thick, uh, like all the tones of the chord. The bass gives you the the kind of like uh, just the drive yep. and, and that very simple uh, tonal kind of precision and then then you have the fiddle or the mandolin uh kind of doing a more ornate just lyrical simple straight line and mandolins also chords sometimes or sometimes the fiddles chopping chords but um but you're right it's the most rudimentary elements and then and then a banjo is just annoying ornamentation (laughs) and i say that as a banjo banjo player player. but also but then you know when you get um a good two or three part harmony in there, then that's a whole other section that that rounds it yeah. all out. Then you're getting high lonesome. Yes. And then you're then you're in a whole other area. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's uh, yeah. The harmonies in bluegrass are insane. I do I do have that on my my presets on Sirius XM. I have the the the, the bluegrass junction. Bluegrass junction. All bluegrass right. There it junction, is. Mm-hmm. You know. Toot toot. <laughs> and there are some you know fantastic old. Recordings. I probably, I probably talked about this the last time, but the um, 
the there was an there was a, a syndicated radio show maybe in the forties I think in the in the on, in California called the Maddox Brothers and Rose and it was oh. just fantastic and they would like you know they it was very folksy but you know there was the relationship was like oh they're all these siblings and they're just hanging out and having a good old time yeah. oh hey what are you guys up to and they would break into a song and it's just phenomenal like the 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 old radio versions of bluegrass are also phenomenal because yeah. the recording quality adds a whole other incredible layer on top uh-huh. of it yeah it's just like um of this anytime you hear that crackle of, of like old vinyl or an old radio recording it's just uh it's just like someone poured uh authenticity syrup all over it well yeah because now obviously we can hear so much in digital musical information uh-huh. but when you think about like okay if they're recording a song and they don't have stereo uh-huh how like what instrumentation and how is that being layered to create a full sound through a very shitty recording device mm-hmm. so that it's so that it sounds, you know, like you get the full experience. So you need kind of tinny sounds, you need something super high, you need something super low, and you <clears> need right. a driving middle piece so that and and you need the voices like they had to create they, the separation. They got to cut through. Now we can do that digitally, but they yeah. had to create the separation. Well, yeah, and if you watch all, like some of the old radio shows there are, were also TV shows or there there are the 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 old TV sh- the old country TV shows where uh, the the choreography of the musicians because they played around one microphone right so you'd have like five or six musicians around one microphone and they knew exactly how to position themselves and to sort of move in or lean in or lean out to, depending on which instrument had a solo which in- instrument needed to be featured at a section of a song or which vocals needed to be featured two people might lean in from the side a uh, guitar leans in for his little fill line and and the more uh the more rehearsed a band was the more seamless it all looked and it's just this kind of organism it's like this beautiful elegant uh, and ultimately, um, very pleasing sound. They didn't have Garage Band. <laughs> they had to be Garage Band. They had to be that. They yeah, they were that. Garage Band. All they had were garages. That's it. They were in a garage. Yeah. They were in a carriage yeah. hut. Yeah. And they had to. But it's a, you know, it, I mean, you sort of and you you sort of see a version of that when they when they do Oh Brother We're Out There where they're singing the you know I'm a man of constant sorrow. Yeah, you sort yeah. Of see, yes. you see that play out a little bit. But for people. For people who are who say, you know what, damn it, I'm inspired by this. It is time for me to start looking into this bluegrass thing. What are some good entry points for people that you recommend for bluegrass? Well, I think uh, if 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 you really want the um, the kind of like old time experience, I would say look no further than Jimmy Martin and Bill Monroe, um, Earl Scruggs and Lester Flats. The, those are sort of the the names that that I think. Speak to old time, Del McCurry. Then, if you uh, if you're really into much more contemporary players, gosh, I mean, there's there are so many. Uh, Where would you put Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys? Is that more rockabilly? Mm, yeah, maybe it's a little precursor to rockabilly because yeah. it was a little bit older than that. Yeah, but there is, but it definitely kind of has that little bit of a vibe. Yeah, were they? Were they, they had electric were, instruments? Did they play? Were they out of Austin? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's. 
Somewhere in Texas, or at least the Playboys were, according to the title. Of the I bet, who knows? There was a Playboy Mansion in Texas, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> so much, it was a much different yeah. Playboy Mansion. <laughs> much different. Um, I don't know. There's just it, it. Just Google bluegrass. Go to the bluegrass situation. Start start clicking around. For Christ's sake, yeah. the answer was right there There's the a, whole time. There, there are artists of the month every month, and they're phenomenal. How often do you make time to practice? Um, that's an awesome question, and. Uh, I go in spurts. Like I'll, there'll be three weeks where I'm practicing maybe two hours a day. And then there will be three, four months, six months <laughs> where I'm just kind of, yeah, just kind of picking up a guitar every now and then and plucking around. Um, but I really, it, now I tend to practice for things as opposed to like general maintenance practice, which right. is not good. Like I should be practicing <laughs> all the time and I should be improving all the time because the other exciting thing, Chris Hardwick, yes, that is that the, the educational opportunities available online now for learning instruments, they're insane. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're just, they're, they're like, I use this app. Called Tune Fox. Okay. That has like incre- it's tablature, it's notation, and it plays the the tunes for you. And it, you can watch as a banjo player. Uh, you don't you t- typically don't read music. You read tablature, which is kind of a a visual representation of where your fingers go. And um, it's like music, but it's a little different. And um, and this app, like, it just makes it so easy. Uh, and you can learn stuff so fast, so much more quickly. It has built-in metronome, all these all these learning aids. It's so fun again. Like practice was such a drag when I was a kid trying mm-hmm. to like, ah, uh, just like I can't learn this thing. I don't know how to practice. I don't know how to like, you know, your teacher gives you exercises, but they're just miserable. And then uh, and that, and now, I don't know, it's like a joy. There's online lessons. Artistworks.com has great lessons. Have you ever thought about doing like a masterclass banjo thing? Um, I, I feel like that would be sort of like a uh, maybe a high level intermediate class, not quite a master class. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, um, no, I haven't thought about that. Well, Should a, I do that? There's, there's a service called there's an online service called Masterclass. Oh, of course. And yeah. uh, and and weirdly, they just started sponsoring the podcast. But I but I was a fan of it before. But like Steve Martin has oh, a comedy. Oh, of course, he has his comedy class. Yeah, and there's like, he all, should be doing a banjo class. He also could do a banjo class. Yeah, but he did comedy. Maybe they just feel like there are more people interested in comedy than learning to play the banjo. I don't I know. Respectfully disagree. But sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Or, or may I, rude of me. Maybe I should put it this way: What's the difference between what comedy is the and difference? Banjo? <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, it. I, I watched there was a there was a YouTube video of a guy who you know it was like a seven or ten minute video, but he he just posted, hey, this was just me practicing piano every day for eighteen months, and he just did a check in like every few weeks, every month or so, and just in eighteen months, which goes by like that, and it's already April of twenty eighteen. Yeah, fucking, well, how'd that happen? Yeah, and um uh. And the the quality of his performance, just from playing like an hour or two a day, is insane in just eighteen months. And so when you quantify it in that way, yeah, and you, you kind of go, oh my god, yeah, I guess if I just put a little bit of time. And an instrument is the kind of thing where, I mean, like with comedy, you sort of can see the results after time, but so much of it depends on where you're performing and audiences, and some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. But you can really see a linear improvement curve with 
just devoting a little bit of time every day to an instrument. I, I would say, it, and and what's incredible is they say perfect practice makes perfect performance. So, and to me that was so I didn't I didn't understand that for so long practicing in a way that is actually constructive as opposed to just sitting there and maybe playing stuff you know and playing through just old things that you like or whatever but actually drilling and learning things and that's what these apps and stuff are so good at just showing you oh this is how to practice right and and yeah an hour all it takes is an hour a day it's that that's such a um exciting example of of, of human potential, I feel like what like what we could be capable of if, if we, we just, just an if we hour, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just did anything for an hour a day, and I and like comedy is is weirder and more sort of uh, amorphous of a thing to practice, yeah. but I do I do believe that. Um, like when I started out doing comedy in New York, I was bad, and I did. I mean, I was not funny, and and um, and it took years before. Uh, I don't even know if I'm funny yet. Well, you I'm can't. still working on it. <laughs> well, you can't do – when you start out, you can't do comedy an hour a day usually. Yeah. Maybe you can do a ton of shows in New York and do that. You can write an hour a day. Yes. But you don't – but that's just part of the – that's just part of the process. You yeah. still have to go somewhere and figure out if any of that material works. You can just practice – Anything you in an instrument, any kind of an hour a day, yeah. and, and it would it could literally change your life. And you, if as long as you don't think I have to be the best person yes. in the world at this, if you just say I'm just doing it for the process each day, it would blow your mind. Even in a month of how much how much I you agree. improved. This is why and and learning a language. Yeah, should we make a pact now to learn what? See, si. we should. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a little bit of Spanish. We haven't learned it yet. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, see, but these are the kinds the of things that, that has you begun. Learn. Yeah, the, <laughs> I always think about that too because I subscribe to Rosetta Stone. Think when we went. Yeah, to, me too. When we <laughs> or, or no, Babel. I think is the yeah, one I yeah, use. Yeah, Babel. yeah. When my wife and I went to Japan, I was really fascinated by Japanese as a language because it is very. Um, I think English is a very difficult language to learn because it's so colloquial and it's so regional and we as Americans just fucking throw out the rules whenever we feel like it. But Japanese is very, um, it's very standardized in the sense that it all makes sense. It's very mathematical and makes sense. Hmm. This is the sentence structure and this is how it works. And this is, you know, you say this, if you're asking a question and you say that, and you know, and I was really fascinated with with that. So of course I come back, I get Rosetta. So I'm really going to learn Japanese. And of course I never did. I probably should learn Spanish living in Southern California. It would be much more useful to learn Spanish to communicate with people. But, I, uh, but I've, been, I've been stuck on the, on the Japanese. This, this is one of many reasons you're a terrible person. <laughs> yes. Um, Believe me, don't think I don't I, say that to myself. <laughs> I just want to say it to myself in multiple languages. Uh, yes. No, I did this. When, when we went to shoot Hangover 2 in Bangkok, we were, we were going to be in Thailand for two months or maybe even a little more, nine weeks, I think. And I was like, oh, what an exciting opportunity to, like, immerse myself in another culture and just kind of learn more about it. And I actually hired a Thai language tutor, and I started studying Thai language for probably five, six months before uh, before I went. Yep. And, um, and it was a fun – it's funny because it's an example of, of, like, kind of 
when you try to do something, but you're really just sort of outsourcing it. And <laughs> which is to say, like, I had this tutor come like twice a week and we would sit for an hour and like talk about Thai language and grammar and uh, and even read, you know, symbols like trying to learn to read it. And then she would leave and I wouldn't think about it until she came back. Right. And um, and I wasn't really learning anything. I right. was just paying somebody to make me feel like I was learning something. <laughs> Did and she communicate only with you in Thai? No, 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 no. It was she, – she was stupidly – I should have just said let's practice some colloquial Thai on a, on a regular basis. But right. I went in and I was like I'm going to learn it from the ground up. Teach me the alphabet. Teach me the – you know, teach me how to pronounce the the um, all of the symbols. Teach me all of it, and and that is such a ludicrous undertaking to be like, oh, in six months I'll be able to go and hang out. Sort of like yeah. like Karate Kid with karate. Like in a month he's going to be a master. Like you can't. We sort of take for granted, like, oh, I can probably just learn. But it's sort of like you're binging on it, yeah. and so it's not settling into your yeah, into mean, your molecules as much. Except that that's except that. Except that that's a bad example because he really he'd won the tournament. But he did. But he learned. But he basically became a karate master in like four weeks. Yeah, which is what. Yeah, but if you remember Karate Kid two, it picks up exactly where the first one left off. So he goes to Japan. Yeah, and at the very end, spoiler alert, ends up kicking the shit out of a kid who literally is karate. Like he's devoted (laughs) his entire existence to karate, and just because they like they play these little drums, yeah, right. He just swings his arms and just beats the shit out of a kid who has was like probably like kicked his way out of the womb. You know what I mean? Like yeah. So there's no it. It's that type of – that's what we want in America is like, you know, one-week mastery. And yes, we just, you're right. I know. Like we course. want the result and not the – by the way, can I just throw you a little – I feel uh, like you're throwing shade on Karate Kid. And that's, no, I'm not. I love Karate Kid. Okay, all right, all right. To the extent that YouTube Red is doing a new Karate Kid series <laughs> that is fucking brilliant. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. So it's Billy Zabka who played yeah, Lawrence and Ralph Macchio as LaRusso. And it's them in life now. And basically because where it picks up is it all, It looks like in the trailer that they've made Lawrence the protagonist. Because he got his ass kicked by LaRusso. Yeah. His life went to shit. Love LaRusso it. becomes this very successful car dealership owner. And then the Lawrence guy has to... He decides to like pick up the pieces of his life by reopening the Cobra Kai dojo where he starts training nerds who are getting bullied. But maybe <laughs> with not the best... Skills like with not uh-huh. the best emotional tool sets. Okay, okay. But it's almost. It looks like in the trailer, like it's from Lawrence's point of view, and the and it that seems to me like such a brilliant. Way I love to, that to pick that story up. Yeah, he's the untold story. Like, he, like we just we never got the complexity of the bully. We just uh, sort of understood. He had a bad he, teacher. He was a, he was a had... very one dimensional jerk. Yes, and there's more to it. There I want to I want to know what it is. But that's like every every kid who bullied you in school. If you went back, they'd be like, oh yeah, you know my my dad used to knock me around. I had yeah. a bad home life. I'm so and you go, oh my god, I'm so I hated you yeah. all these years. I had no I should. I didn't know I needed to have empathy for how horrible your life was. Well, that's a certain percentage of bullies. And then I feel like there's the bullies that are just like, no, I just love beating up people. <laughs> I'm just bigger, gr- I'm bigger than people and it's fun. Yeah, and my parents loved me and they encouraged <laughs> me. And hi- my dad high-fived me all the time. And I just I, – I got a certain drunken pleasure out of exploiting your happiness. 
and sucking the the the, the life out of your school days. <laughs> Uh, and breaking your glasses and stomping on them. The well-adjusted bully. Yeah. No, I know this is wrong. I just It's very edifying to me. I, and I can do it. And I can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. You know, I was very much in my and, parents. And might I add, what are you going to do about yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, nothing really. You know why? Because I'm really good at it. And I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to take you down if yeah. you try anything. It's not really even that hard. It's kind of boring at this point. I need to find new bullying challenges, uh, if you will. Yeah. But, but with the language stuff, it... Again, it, it's, it, 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 it takes practice, and I think you need to be fully immersed. When I, I took my, um, my college language was Italian, and from day one, they only spoke to us in Italian because you, there's a difference when you're young, you associate words with things, but when you're older, you tend to associate a foreign word to a word you already know and then to the thing. So there's a, there's a, mm. a there's a two-step process. Right, right. So I think it, you know, it, you're not internalizing it as much because, you know, like I'm, if I look at this bottle here, I would say, ah, Bottega is a bottle, which is this thing. Right. As opposed to just looking at that thing going, ah, Bottega. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So do you know, and did you retain any of the Thai language? Uh, n- literally, I only remember Sawatikap, which is like, hello. That's about it. <laughs> so, well, the other thing is when we got to Thailand, this was this was another really sort of uh, naive or sort of foolish thing on my part. Our, our, our work schedule on those movies was so intense. It was like 12, 13-hour days. You wake up, you go, and you're just grinding all day, and you come back and you go to sleep. And there's no – and we were on a set with – we're not interacting with Thai people. Right. And we're not having like – and, you know, like on the weekend, you're pretty much just trying to catch up on sleep. Right. And so it was not – it, 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 was it wasn't was a, a vacation. It wasn't – well, it also just, – it just wasn't a cultural experience per se. I mean it was exciting. I love being in Bangkok. It's such a crazy, cool city. Um, and just living there, kind of going out to dinner, walking around, exploring, all that stuff is is wonderful. But I didn't have – it wasn't – yeah, I just didn't have the kind of like ex- interaction with local people that, that I sort of fantasized about right. ahead of time. Because you're working, you're working the entire time. We're working. Yeah. It's not a – yeah, it's not a vacation. It's sort of like when you think, oh, I'm doing stand-up this weekend. I'm going to the city. I'm going to go to the museums and go yeah. around. And you go <laughs> – totally. you're like, I'm exhausted. I have to yeah. rest so I can go perform. Yeah. So and, you end up not really doing the things you want to do. And this hotel with tinted windows is so much more pleasing <laughs> than any museum could possibly be in my tired state. <laughs> yes, of course I would, in theory, love to see the ghost town copper mining culture that used to be here. Well, what a fun experience to widen my horizons. However, I have to do two shows tonight, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I don't get to sleep during the day at home. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm just going to do that here instead. Yeah. And yeah, I'll go to the Applebee's and the Cracker Barrel and not <laughs> just because it's easy and yep. quick. Yep. Up. Yep. Are you Gosh. touring a lot now at all? I, I haven't done that kind of thing in quite a while. Um, yeah. Are you? Are you on, you're on the road a lot? I'm, I go on as much as I can. Yeah. But I do understand... Are you cultivating material all the time? Are mm-hmm. you are you you're always writing? Yeah. Are you are you going to steal stuff from this podcast? Are you like, how does it work? <laughs> you know, I would love to steal stuff from all the podcasts, and the unfortunate <laughs> problem is I forget everything I say the second the podcast. These podcasts are so much in the moment and short term memory. Yeah, that I you know people will say to me like, oh that. 
if they speak to me in vague terms and said, oh, that was a really funny thing you said on that one podcast, and I'll go, I don't know what you mean. And then they'll say it, and I'll go, did I say that? Like, I have no recollection. That's of- like the people reference specifics from Office episodes. Oh, I can imagine. And, you know, we did hundreds, and I uh, – and, and it was – you know, I think for people who experience the the show in these half hour chunks, it's so different than from our side of it, which was like one episode was five days, five like twelve hour days, just grinding to get, and then and that's up against every other episode that's five twelve hour days, right? In a row. And it it does kind of mash up together. I'll watch episodes of The Office and be like, oh my god, that's hilarious! <laughs> I know, like that is. Was I even there mentally? Because I'm standing there in this in the scene. But but you're also like I would imagine if you're you know like being super riffy on the show and you don't you, in your mind you may not necessarily be selecting the piece that's going to get you're just like you know you you, yes, you do your right, lines you riff right. a bunch you fuck around and you move on to the next thing and then it's someone else's job to lift out the pieces that make this oh right. this, is the, this part of this and you, oh wow did I say that yeah. oh that's great yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, even yeah. remember I don't even remember that totally. But it, was funny. it was the show? I don't. I must have asked you this at one time, and I'm sure you've answered this a lot. How improvised was the show, and how I'm sure you had like a basic spine of a story to stick to, and then there was probably some fucking around around that. Um, it totally depended on the. Uh, it it kind it almost was like what's happening in a scene, and is that scene conducive to improv? Because a lot of times there was a lot that was not improvised. I mean, it, there were. Uh, everyone was very good at it uh, when it and and there were certain times where it felt natural or it felt like a good place to kind of riff and certain people riffed more than others naturally. Um, but uh, but the writing was so good that um, it wasn't as much improv as you might think. Got it. It wasn't it wasn't even anything like, you know, curb your enthusiasm, which isn't even scripted. Right. It That's just outlined. So the office was scripted very meticulously and then and so brilliantly the the writers were so good it w- it was not very often that you felt like you needed to improvise to enhance something right but you might want to improvise to sort of try other things I also think uh the talking heads that's and that's where I improvised the most mm-hmm. because that's that was like my character's voice more specifically, like speaking for himself. Wait, you were in the band The Talking Heads? Is that <laughs> what you're saying? You're in the band? Yeah. Wait, what? Did I? Huh? <laughs> you said, did, did you, was it? What? But that. But those moments were, and it seems like it's great to have that process where everything, the foundation of everything is so strong. So if you're just adding stuff on top of that, yeah. if it works, great. If not, then the, the source material is already solid. Exactly. You, you, you get you get what's on the page, and you you know you're good, and then maybe you, you have some fun on top of it. And then is that is that show coming back? Did I read that's coming back, or that was a rumor that the office was coming back? I, yeah, I'm I'm not. I don't know what that is. What's there was like a there. minute where I thought, oh, you know, on the heels yeah. of like Will and Grace, coming like, oh, now the office is going to come. But then I never heard about it again. Yeah. So I don't know if I don't know if that's a Roseanne. Thing. Roseanne came back. Mm-hmm. I read a whole article today about how. It just seemed funny to me that they said, here's, here's, here's how we can deal with Roseanne season nine. <laughs> like, we need to, you know, because it's a sitcom. <laughs> but I guess season nine just got batshit crazy of Roseanne. At the beginning of the season, the, the Connors won the lottery 
or Dan had a heart attack and then he recovered and then they won the lottery and then Dan was cheating on Roseanne and he went away and then came back and then all this batshit crazy stuff happened and at the very end of the series um, it turned out they they justified it by undoing the entire season where the end of the series is Roseanne basically like writing about her memoirs and it turns out Dan actually did die and that was just a fantasy of like what their lives Whoa. would have been. And so it's like, okay, so if the show is back now, you kind of just need to pretend it's picking uh. up from season eight <laughs> and not from oh, crazy that's season, funny. not from season nine. I didn't. I, I never watched that show that much. That was one of the shows that I sort of caught now and then and, and chuckled at. But I, I was not a like a diehard fan. Were you? I watched a. I, I did watch a lot of it. It was pretty revolutionary in terms of the voice of the show. Uh-huh. It was sort of the. 80s, 90s version of what Norman Lear shows had done in the 70s, which was just sort of a a very kind of real talk mm-hmm. kind of a sitcom as opposed to... I mean, it was very jokey, yeah, but, you know, it was so driven by her point of view and the amazing actors that around it that it... And, and it was just sort of very like... Oh, this is a this is a slice of life of a very specific family, and it's not a cookie cutter sitcom. Right, it's some sort of a more of a, a they deal with real issues. Some of the episodes are a little dramatic, and you know, I thought it was a great show. Have you and and it it's just it hasn't started yet. right? No, I think it's about to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well, while we're learning our new languages, yes. we'll get together for Roseanne nights. And uh, <laughs> you and I, Rose and Roseanne. Ro- <laughs> we'll, we'll have Roseanne nights. Roseanne. Uh, so Chappaquiddick is coming out April sixth, and they just sent me the link to it last night, so I haven't seen it yet. And what? I, I know I'm sorry. Pause, hit pause. Wait a minute. Watch it and come back. And come back. And we're back. That was great. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my god, the level of detail. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so Chappaquiddick. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of. I, I think about these types of stories sometimes. Like, what would have happened if that had gone down in a social media era? Mm-hmm. Like, would I think you, we're watching that right? I mean, it feels like the whole country right now is just a bonfire of the vanities playing out. It's Way beyond what we ever could have imagined. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. I don't know that, um, well, anyway, it's, it's so, there's something kind of quaint almost about that story now, because like you said, it isn't, things just catch fire now in such a, uh, crazy way that that story, which actually played out in kind of a slow plodding way is um gosh is this feels so antiquated and and that was definitely a period of time where they could control a little more yeah the media a little bit more and what yeah. got out and you know local authorities well and- i wouldn't I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they had more or less power to control the media it's just different tools different kinds of i mean it seems like with the dissemination of of false news mm-hmm. that that that's just a different tool to accomplish the same thing. Right, I guess that's true. And kind of like trading on or or playing to emotions. I mean, I thought that that uh, Cambridge Analytica secret, um, the the tape of the CEO talking, yeah. and where he says um, it's winning elections is not about the truth; it's about emotion. Right. That um, you know, it, it's it's too bad that he's evil because that, because that is also because that's such a powerful insight and it's so true. Right. And I think if people, 
um, understood that that's some that 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 is a piece of knowledge that can be kind of um, used for good or evil. Well, I, and I and I think and, and I see that working across so many different sectors. You know, my <clears throat> my wife and I watch a lot of true crime shows, and I always think about how you know, especially if you've watched any of the. Any of the the court case dramas, the the Dassey one, which I can't remember the name of right now, but or the Jinx or any of these other ones, yeah. and you see like, you know, I think we as as just random <clears throat> citizens think like, oh, if you go to court for something, if you're on trial for something, it, it, it's really about discovering the truth. Mm-hmm. When it's kind of not, mm-hmm. it's really about winning the case, right? <laughs> In with whatever tool sets either side has. And you would think in so many instances, someone would just be able to stop and go, hey, Your Honor, I would love to just tell you exactly what did happen, yeah. you know, during this questioning, you know, yeah. but, you, but it seems like, oh, you can't really. You, well, but that, you know, it's so funny you say that because I, I, I would watch like old cop shows and stuff and, or, or like legal dramas and you'd see the, the lawyers try to manipulate a witness and they, they would say, ask a question and the witness would start to give an answer and then the lawyer would say, nope, stop. Please That's, answer the question. Yeah, stick with the question. And then, But I always thought, well, didn't they just swear on the Bible to tell the whole truth and nothing but the whole truth? And can't they make an argument that, no, 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 if I stop there, I haven't told you the whole truth. Right. Can't I just... I need to give you context, but the lawyer keeps saying, "No, no, no, stop!" Like you, I only you want the truth that I want to get out, yeah. so that I can win my side of the case. Yeah, but I always thought the witnesses sort of uh, were handed over too much power in those situations. Like you, you can like the whole truth is not just fa- like a series of fact- factual statements. It's also context. That's of course what it the is. whole truth is. That's why you say whole truth right. instead of just the truth. Whereas, you know, like if, if you if you said uh, you know, if you said something like, oh, I'm gonna ah oh, that fucking guy, I'm gonna kill that guy and they say, Did you say you wanted to kill that guy? Well, yes, I did. Oh, that's all we needed. Oh, no, 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 wait. I was at, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at a comedy show. I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, or whatever. You know, like, you, there's, there's no context. And so, you know, maybe it, it just, I know it's the best system that we have, but, uh, but, but it, always, it always kind of flips my mind a little bit when I think like, oh, yeah, it's not, in, it's not necessarily about getting out the truth. It's about yeah. either side winning that case with whatever the protocols for the justice system that are in place are and that that to me is it's it's the same it's the same kind of thing where it's like oh you think it's about one thing really it's about this other emotional thing yeah instead did you ever see did you remember a um uh a movie in the 80s called from the hip yeah but i can't remember what nelson and oh yeah he he was was a crazy lawyer he he, he was like a young lawyer and, and he he was like a rising star in this law firm, but he's kind of a maverick and, right. um, and unorthodox. And he gets handed this huge case to defend this uh, this big sort of corporate bad guy. Um, and he's he's super excited and he starts to defend him and he's he's sort of kicking ass in the court scenes and it's going great. And then and then there's this moment where he realizes that his client is 100 percent guilty of this crime. And he has this, uh, this kind of moral crisis and there's this scene and I don't know why I think my dad was a lawyer. Maybe that's why I sort of like, uh, that, that, that paid so much attention to this movie, but cause it's kind of, it's kind of a forgettable comedy, right, right, but, right, right, right. but, but there's this moment where he goes to his boss, like a senior partner at the law firm 
and and he's he says how is it that what's ethical isn't moral right and i think that is such a powerful question and it's something that that people in power in in the media in politics just don't ask themselves enough like what you, you can you can sort of like let yourself off the hook because what you're doing is ethical right but you don't and that allows you to just sort of not analyze the morality of it well and i think that's part of the the chasm that's created because you know i think we always we as sort of functioning members of society i think need to feel like for the most part people go well uh as long as I can justify to myself with any sh- with any molecule of anything right. that I am not a piece of shit. Yes. And so it is sort of picking and choosing those things and going, well, I'm following these mm-hmm. rules. Yep. So that's just the system. I don't know what to say. That's I'm, just the system. I'm still, I'm still a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, in, and, in, and, and from the hip, he, it's kind of brilliant. He, he realizes his client is guilty. And so he, then he, start, he, he kind of throws the case – but in a brilliant way where it looks like he's fighting for now his I gotta client. watch this movie. I don't know. I mean, it may not hold up. I haven't seen it in 20 years or more, but, um, but it is, it, it just, I just, that, that for some reason that scene always stuck with me. Well, because it, because it is a very valuable question now. And, and especially, you know, with the world, the way it is, you know, what's, what's ethical, what's moral. Is it possible to be both, you know, how do you even define, like, the, first of all, you have to, we have to collectively agree on, I mean, with ethics, there's some type of infrastructure in place that kind of defines those rules. But with morality, that's sort of a, a loosely agreed upon human idea that there's no, you know, real rule book unless, you know, you look at the Bible or, the, right. or whatever sort there's of – There's lots of rule books. There are lots of rule <laughs> there's books. There's thousands of rule books. There are lots of those rule books. But I mean but, – but they're not universal, you know. Sure. Like they're not standardized. It's sort of like you have to subscribe to one. Yeah. And so – then it becomes a question of if I'm being moral, by whose by whose morality am I adhering to? And if I have my own, does that impede on someone else's? I mean, it's it's just it's so messy. And I think human beings do not like messy answers. We just no. need, we just need A or B. Yeah. Okay. A is this. B yeah. is this. Okay. Good. I don't have time or energy to really go into see through Q. Oh my gosh. So yeah. How do, so how do we? How do we rectify that or justify that? I think it's a, a matter of just having a little bit of humility about your point of view, like, and, and just always kind of asking, "Am I am I sure I'm right? right? Am I sure I'm right?" And what I kind of envy about Donald Trump, in a way, is that he doesn't actually to ask yourself, "Am I right?" is kind of a it. It complicates things. It makes things a little messy, and it makes things uncomfortable. Creates sometimes. a lot of more, lot more work. Yeah, it creates more work to justify your actions, and you might have to undo some things. And, and it actually creates. It, it's actually really hard work to sleep at night when you ask yourself <laughs> these questions. And uh, and Donald Trump just doesn't seem to ask himself that ever. And I, I don't know the guy, and per- personally, but um, but but the the aggressiveness with which he sort of like toes the line of his own perfection is um is i don't know and weirdly enviable to me i like like what if he's just like at night just this guy we don't see he's like oh my god everyone hates me (laughs) everyone just hates me i mean i think to some degree that that may have been poking at him which is why 
you know, he would get so emotional on Twitter because things would get under his skin. Yeah. But they were they were typically like vanity things. Right. You know, but uh, but, but he can still keep it together in person. Like he doesn't like in those debates. He never he never choked. Like usually someone who questions themselves, that's when they that's what a choke is. Can I tell you what, though? It, it was a classic example of the like. It, just to reduce this to like uh, like a high school election where it's like you're running for president of the of the of the student body, mm-hmm. and then you have people who are just like really taking it seriously, and there's one clown who's like, I'm just gonna fuck with the system. Yep, you're right. You know, and yeah. the kid goes in, he's like, uh, Yeah, if I'm president, no homework. Yeah, and everyone's like, Whoa! <laughs> totally. And they're like, How? And, but the people who are <laughs> adhering to what their traditional, maybe ethical <laughs> base right, of rules right, are right. like. That's not possible. What do you mean no homework? I'm going, well, listen, you want homework? You want these people to work? I'm just saying I wouldn't do it, but yeah. whatever, fuck you guys. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, this guy is the fucking best. And then that dude ends up getting elected. And then he's like, oh, fuck, I wasn't, I was just fucking around with yeah. you guys. Like, I didn't really want this. Yeah. Now I got to do this, you know? Yeah. And then, but, but then, and then, then he's held, his feet are held to the fire. And it's like, well, were you serious about no homework? And he's like, I never said that. No, you did. You definitely, nope, I didn't. All right, well, he says he didn't. All right, well, I did. Then it is. We have proof that you, we, uh, I don't know, whatever. No, you're not. Isn't that funny that, that, the, that, that politics, people in power being toppled by their own sort of shortcomings is predicated on them acknowledging their shortcomings. Well, you, and, and if you never acknowledge your shortcomings, you can just stay put like Trump's doing. It's well, insane. It, and I know that there are exceptions where that's not true and the other way does where people do get toppled. But you're right. And I think part of it is we as – you know, like most – most I think most people, most empathetic people or most people in general do kind of prey on regret. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. Have you ever been in a situation where you get in an argument with someone and then you're like – Oh my god, I'm so sorry, I messed up. And then they get madder. They're like, "Yeah, you fuck it." What they mm. almost sort of because it's very empowering to be to dominate someone in that way. Yeah. And if someone can't be dominated, some people just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. They're like, and they go, "Hey, you did this." Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, you need to know you did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the problem? Yeah. Well, well, well you need to uh, make amends. No, you, no. You need to take responsibility no, for it. No, fuck you. Yes, you do. Fuck you. Dare no, no, fuck you. Oh my no, God. your shirt's ugly. Why fuck are you. you. Not taking my shirt's. Shirt? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know what to. Exactly. You know? It's a, that. It, it's just a brick wall. It is and because there's, there's no transfer of energy there. It's yeah. just constantly <laughs> being reflected, and so people are like. I don't he I was not mentally prepared for this. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. I can't I can't prey on that in any way yeah. because he doesn't it's just I, I can't find truth. I can't find like a, a, a an agreed upon set of standards by which to measure ourselves. And now it's I not, would say that's that's a bad example, but other people were like, No, it doesn't. It just means do whatever you want and you don't have to fuck yeah. you know, like no, fuck you. And then, you know, the other thing that it creates is that if enough people are on your side, then no matter what happens, they'll, you know, sort of like with, like with Alex Jones or any of the Infowars, if, you know, if he ever would get in trouble for something, then his people would sort of write the story in their head of like, oh, well, this is just a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I get, you know, like, because he's the conspiracy guy. And so then your audience is sort of like protecting you because they don't want to violate their own core belief system because they don't want to say to no. themselves... Is he right? If he's not right, that means I'm not right. Therefore, I must be right. Transitively, he is, of course, right. Yeah. And this is how that all ties together. Mm. And so, oh boy. you know, it's just... Uh, there's a very peculiar 
hiccup in human psychology called the backfire effect, which is when you are presented with information that um, that <laughs> that totally uh, contradicts what you hold dear, mm-hmm. a belief, a core belief of yours. Um, not only, and, and it doesn't matter how convincing or conclusive this information or evidence is, uh, if it contradicts a core belief or a core value of yours, you will not only not believe it, you will double down even harder on your original position. Yeah. And that's why, that's, that, that's why Twitter is such a just nightmare of, of inefficient bloviating. Like of there's course. no, there is no way to convince somebody of something that, uh, that is goes against their core values yeah. it, 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 without a much more circuitous and difficult tack. Well, they have to be willing. Do they have to be willing to say, "Am I right?" We have to be willing as a people to say, "I'm, I'm right." And but what I'm saying is, even somebody with the best intentions, e- even like an intellectually honest, very sort of humble person, if you challenge something that that is core to their identity, they are going to push back. It triggers the same thing. That uh, the uh, that physical danger triggers the fight or flight response. Right. That the same thing happens mentally, and so w- you have this sort of fight or flight psychological response, which is no, 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 no. Because you have to protect your wrong. identity as much as exactly. you have to protect your physical body. Yes. And so it's like that's you know, exactly right. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone, and then someone comes to you and goes, "Hey, I have video evidence of the person that you are with <laughs> cheating or being an asshole," you know, uh, a lot of times people might just go. Uh, no, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to, because they just can't. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Or like the person in Vegas who they start doubling down on their bets to make back the money they've yeah. lost. Like when You're all right, the right, evidence right. points to like, <laughs> yeah. that doesn't really work, <laughs> you know. But it's 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 impo- It is it is very difficult to deconstruct and reconstruct. Yeah, the the castle that you've built around your identity. Exactly. Well, and and what you said about your sort of your psychological identity being just as precious to you as your physical personal safety. Right. Like that, and that is true, and that's why that fight or flight response isn't just a physiological thing; it's a psychological thing. And um, and until people sort of understand that and and ask themselves like. Am I having a backfire effect right now? Is this something that that I'm challenging for the wrong reasons, um, or or for for reasons that I'm not even aware of? Like until we have that that level of humility on a broad scale, right? Then it just we're just going to get more and more fractured. That's and true. More and more sort of angry at each other, and um, I don't like it. But some of it's on the responsibility of. So I think some of the responsibility is ours. When communicating with those people to Absolutely. not come at them because they're, if you come at them aggressively, they're going to be defensive. But if you, if you really do try to listen and hear people, even if you don't agree with them, and you say to them, like, I hear what you're saying. I really do. Uh, he, here's why I think th- – you know, here's where I'm coming from though and here's why I think these things. Then in a way, acknowledging that you're listening to them complements their identity. Like <laughs> right. it, give, it, it, it gives a compliment to their identity so that th- you're accepting it. And then maybe they're a little more open to go, OK, as opposed to just throwing up the shields because you're like – 
well, fuck you. How could yeah. you say that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever... Well, then no, you're not going to get anywhere. What you're saying is, like, we should be uh, cordial <laughs> to each other. And I agree. I agree. It doesn't Why? always work. Like, what, what, we should lead with kindness. But... It's hard to sometimes. It's hard. It's it's hard. Really, it it's really hard. is hard It's hard to, to be kind to jerks and, and bullies. <laughs> It People is, who are but, professional bullies. But when we understand that, you know, unless it's the unless it's the type of all-star bully who's just really good at it yeah. that, that we were talking about earlier. I love that. Yeah. I love that bully who's just so at ease with his bulliness. Well, it sort of reminds me of uh, it sort of reminds me of the, uh, the the Merv Griffin elevator killer and Man with Two Brains. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. There's a Man with Two Brains. There's an elevator killer in Europe and... And Steve Martin gets on an elevator and he sees this girl being murdered and the camera pans up and it's Merv Griffin. Uh. And he's like, Merv Griffin, you're the elevator killer? Like, it's been a mystery this entire movie. And he just he just goes, yeah, you know, I've always loved to kill. I really enjoy it. You know, but I got too famous back in the United States. People were like, who is that lurking over there? Is that Merv Griffin? Oh my God. So I came here. You know, like, he's just so like, yeah, I just, I'm really good at That's it. Great. I don't know what to say. Uh-huh, I love it. But it is that good. But for most bullies, though, I do think they're hurt, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they're they're damaged and hurt. And, and so they're extra aggressive and defensive because they're... Sad or hurt or, yeah. or they or they lack a certain amount of control in their life. And so this is how they feel like they have that control. And so it's – I mean I don't think we should – you know, I mean whatever. So, some people are just fucking dicks and, <laughs> and they need to be stopped. But I do think sometimes if we approach some of these – and not all. But if we approach some of these people with at least the ability to be open to hearing them – that they might open up that, so that we can kind of get in and help them to undo. With some people, it's just the only communication skills they have. Like yeah. it's just, it's sort of like you know, if you if you adopt a if you adopt a pet, that dog might have some baggage that you have to spend a lot of understanding and time and care to undo because that's the only way right. they've known they've ever learned how to, they don't even have the skill set yes. to do what you're suggesting. Right. And, and people who are damaged in all kinds of different ways project onto the world around them and project onto people around them, their own fears and worst, uh, worst expectations of, of how they're going to be treated. And so they, when, when a, a bully, uh, is oftentimes responding to a sort of fictional threat, something that they've projected onto the right. people around them, and or a fictional shame or a, a sort of um, imaginary. Um, and it's not just bullies; it's it's also people who are uh, who have anger problems or who are just like maybe really petty and annoying at work. Like people, <laughs> like that. Th- usually, those are symptoms of. Of sort of heartbreaking projections onto the world around them, like well, how course. they see the, how they see what's what's happening. Yeah, and um, and I don't know. It's hard to find empathy for people like that. It but, is, but it it's, is hard, it's and, just, and, and it's been a, it's been a, it's been a trial for me because I was heavily bullied in grade school. And you I'm know, sorry and, about that. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No, I, that's fine. I did that. Uh, why would you do that? I did it. I, why you, would you, you chase me so, with your banjo? You <laughs> <laughs> who bullies you can't. Bu- it's like the old Steve Martin bit. You just can't be sad if you're playing the banjo. Oh, death and grief and sorrow and murder. Like he's playing the banjo. <laughs> hey, Steve, your house is burning down. Doesn't matter. He's playing the 
<laughs> but uh, but you know it. We we do. Uh, I do. I am gratified by justice tales. Of course, I yeah, am. Of course, where, it feels you know, good. Where the, some, the bully gets yeah. taken down. Like yeah, because that guy thought he could get away with it because he didn't karate have any kid. karate kid. So kid? good. Yes, fucking yes. right there. Kicked in the face. Kicked in the. Well, that's one of the jokes in the in the trailer is that. Like they run into each other at a party, and someone's like, "Oh, Dan Larusso, hey, didn't you? When did you kick this guy's ass back in high school?" And Daniel kind of smugly goes, "Technically, it was the face," you know. And then Lawrence is like, "Yeah, nice to see yeah. you." You know, I mean, it it it, it is very intoxicating to. No, to to feel like you can say whatever you want and you don't have any boundaries and you can get away with it, you know. But again, power is a responsibility, and it's not one that most people, I think, use wisely, mm-hmm. particularly online, where they can be anonymous mm-hmm. and they know I can say whatever the fuck I want because I'm I'm going to get away with it. Yeah, and it does it does drive me crazy. But I just have a hope for humanity. Me too. That there are nuggets of goodness in all those people, and that with enough. You know, just like it's worth it to adopt a pet and spend the time to sh- give them the tool sets to be friendly, that, uh, you know, that, that we, maybe we need to adopt, maybe we need to do like an adopt a bully program. <laughs> adopt a troll. <laughs> adopt a troll. <laughs> it's like a troll adoption every third like Sunday it. at the Gelson's. Yes. And uh, like, it's a little troll in a cage, like, fuck you, piece of shit, fuck you. Oh, this one's, yeah, I don't know. We found him on the streets He's of Pacoima. So He's very. He was just tw- tweeting incessantly on his iPhone, yeah. on a, sitting on a public, on a Fuck bus. you, you're fat and stupid. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh, we're going we're gonna to do some work okay. with him, though. We're going to do some work yeah, with him. Yeah, we're just going to work it out. Well, my mom has a bully cat like my mom has the most adorable fluffy cat who's a fucking bully this cat like my mom gives it my mom is so maternal gives it nothing but love it looks like a plush toy but it bites and scratches her constantly I'm like, and even I'm like mom maybe just leave the back door open like it literally because I hate to see my mom with scars oh on her and my mom my mom is like defends it's not her fault. She didn't ask to Aww. grow up. However, she like my that mom is, is one so of those sweet. people who is endlessly optimistic. Will put in the time. Will put up with all of the bites and scratches. And so, you know, maybe that's maybe that's what we need to do with our adopt a troll pro. It'd be a great sketch, by the way. We need to do an adopt a troll sketch. Uh, yeah, I love, but that but that just that that idea that your mom captured. It's not her fault. Like that is a that's a powerful thing, you know. That's that's like goodwill hunting. The the therapy scene, like his troubled childhood, and Robin right. Williams is like, it's not your fault. Right. Like acknowledging that is, uh, it, I think opens the door for empathy. Slippery slope, though, because a lot of people will use it as a sort of narcissistic way to deflect having response. Well, it's not my yeah, fault. Yeah, it's not at all. So, yeah, so I some, be some a... people, it's not their fault, and for other people, sorry, it's... I'm damaged. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I cheated on you and abused you. I'm just really fucked I'm just, up. I'm so damaged and well, not my fault. Yeah, may, may, maybe in those instances, those people should have the awareness to say like, hey, I did this, so I'm going to do some work yes. to try to not do this yeah. anymore. Maybe that's where the line yeah. is as opposed to just endlessly going, oh, it's not my fault. But yeah. you know, it, there is that weird uh, – like when you – like like that feeling of when when uh, when Danny Larusso kicks uh, what's his name Lawrence, yeah. John Lawrence in the face that feel that that visceral feeling of payback mm-hmm. of like I showed him that is like a troll's fuel yeah, of course and how do you neutralize that fuel because it's it it's rarely 
like like in the case of the Karate Kid, like he won and it was he got a trophy and it was so clear that he was like victorious both right. morally and ethically and right. across the board. Right, right, right. But in the case of a troll, you they fire off something on a in a comment section and it's like I won that thing, but they didn't. Right, and it had no impact. And it had but but they still got that feeling. They got that rush. From well, the bummer thing, thing about trolls is that. Yes, there is that very stereotypical idea of like, oh, it's just a sweaty guy in a basement whose life is bullshit. But then you start finding out like some of them are just like, eh, just dudes with normal lives who it's just – there was a whole storyline on South Park last season about how um, Kyle's father – was trolling people and he was he was just <laughs> saying the worst things online. He was like, "I'm just doing it for the lols." Like there there are people who like by every other aspect are not do not fit into that box and they you know the problem is humans are just too complex. Yeah. You know, like we we need we need A and B solution A or B solutions for for you know very complex situations and maybe that's maybe that's the same thing with our legal system where it's like, "Well, it's not perfect." But it it works the best of any system that we've tried or in any system that we've had. Agreed. So I, I I mean it is it's it's we are imperfect. We are messy and complicated, and we have to adhere to systems that do the best. That's and why it, you need to practice an can. instrument one an hour a day uh-huh. because that is a very clean thing to mm-hmm. be able to wrap your mind around. If you practice, you will get better. And you need to go see Chappaquiddick twice a day. Twice a day, so that you'll you get so good at seeing it. that movie. Can, can I say? Can, can I say something uh, self-serving? Say right whatever now? you want. So this is your time. Th- this is everything we've talked about. We've kind of done a bad job of connecting it to the movie Chappaquiddick. But do it, it is do it now. No, but it, it it's like well, you should have been doing it the whole time because this is all so. Uh, just roped into the DNA of this movie and who Ted Kennedy is and what the Kennedy family and, the, and Camelot and the legacy of the Kennedys and their the power and the influence that they had, how they chose to use it, how um, how someone responds to a tragedy uh, in that moment of fight or flight, fear, reflex, like what is what what, what do I have to lose? Um, like, how can I get out of this in a way that is ethical, even if it's not moral? How right. can I sort of like, um, how can I cover my fucking ass? I'm scared out of my mind, which right. I think is something a lot of people can relate to. Um, but we also chastise, uh, chastise other people for it when we see it. Like, how do I, uh, like, is there moral ambiguity in Ted Kennedy's case or is it cut and dry? Did he absolutely... Um, do everything wrong, or is there any place for like seeing ourselves in him? And I think, uh, I think any honest assessment, there's like, uh, he did the wrong thing. There's, right? There's no question. No, <laughs> right. no, no, no. There's no question he did the wrong thing. But I think the the where it gets like, uh, where there's like a a sort of challenge to a viewer is like, um. Uh, like if you can get away with something, would you? Right. And, or would you try? Would you at least try? And, um, and that's, that speaks to the question of like that power and how it's utilized. And, and there's no question that there's lots of ways that the Kennedys abused their influence in their, um, the, the, how much they were adored. There are a lot of ways that they also, made the world a better place with their influence. And it's just a cra- – it's such a soup. It's such a messy, grotesque soup that it is delicious drama. 
And did, after you did this movie, did you have a different point of view on everything by the end of it? Or did you go, did you come out of it kind of where you were? I don't know. I think it reinforced for me just the complexity of, of um, our heroes. Like I grew up in a family that definitely uh, venerated the Kennedy family and thought that, uh, and I, and I do think that, that, that the, that the sort of public values that the Kennedys espoused are worthy of admiration. Their private actions, um, as is the case with most people that we put on a pedestal, are kind of gross and disgusting or at times overtly criminal and mm-hmm. horrifying. And that's um, that's what makes uh, – th- that, that just speaks to the complexity of our um, – uh, like our values and how we project them onto our heroes. And, uh, and we sort of don't allow for even after Chappaquiddick, like the Kennedys were staunchly defended and, um, you know, people had their, uh, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sort of like lost in the weeds, but I do think, um, it just reinforced that, uh, that we just have to be careful with our, um, with ha- with how we perceive our heroes and who we sort of label heroes and who and if we- we're never if we're never willing to question, yeah, we like we do we do like to set things on autopilot so that we don't have to think about them again. Okay, yeah. this is how I feel about that thing. Done. Right. Because it takes a lot of work to go back every so often. I mean, I I've told this story before, but I remember. Um, you know, uh, I used to be definitely afraid of like staying in a hotel on a high floor because I just don't like heights, hmm. and and so I would I would always avoid it. And then one time I got booked on a high floor in New York, and it was the only floor available, and I was terrified. And I'll go, oh my god, I don't want to. You know, I kind of went through the breathing, and then I for a second I had to stop and go, do I still actually feel this way? And when I really kind of dove deep even on this very superficial thing that's not you know what you were talking about but 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 i realized like i don't think i actually feel this way anymore but i never would have known that if i hadn't asked myself Uh and kind of dug in and and done the work right so i you know i have said to people like every once in a while it's good to check in to make sure you actually even still think the things that you think you think Uh uh-huh because you might have just set those on autopilot (laughs) and those autopilots decisions kind of have their own little, you know, automated robots that defend those positions. Yes. But maybe you don't necessarily think the things that you still think. That's... And, and that, that can also be a relationship to a bully. Oh, God, do I? I don't know if I still... I don't know if I'm still... And, and if you can let that stuff go yeah. or change how you feel, it is very... It does lighten your your spirit in a yes, way. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Am I still angry at this bully or are these just reflexes? Right, right. Am I still sort of tortured by these memories or are these just reflexes? Do I still like this thing? Do I still like yeah. this person? Am I still afraid of that? Like it right. is good every once in a while to check in and make sure because you, you know, you, you, you evolve and grow as the nature of having experiences. Yeah. I, I and, and I mean, that's an example where sort of the passage of time kind of alters something subconsciously. Sure. I think in this, in, in the case of Chappaquiddick, 
I mean, obviously it was something that happened a long time ago, but even as it was unfolding or even sort of through the lens of it, of like, how would I look at this if it was happening right now? Uh, if I knew all of this information, um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's something that I, I feel like it's just about recognizing that it's never as simple as it looks. It's never, it's almost never, nothing is, it, it's just never, um, and people aren't as evil or as good as we think they are. Right. They're, they're it's, it's a great villain written in like a great villain character in a movie, uh, has, you have empathy for that villain. Because yeah. They've been, they've been humanized in some way. Um, and I think that, uh, that I, I, I'm proud of the movie cause I think it's sort of an unflinching portrayal of, of some pretty like horrific, um, activity and and I hope that it just challenges everyone to be like, what is like where where do I stand on like when people that I might admire or people that I think are are great are also doing bad things? Can I accept that whole person? And and, and it's the same thing if you're like a Bill Clinton f- fanatic and like some of the th- things that he mishandled, like uh, some criminal justice issues that right. he was like just awful about or. <laughs> Uh, or uh, of course Monica Lewinsky, which is just like you know these are things that um, that as a if you're a Clinton supporter, can you just can you just admit that those are bad, right? And be like, but that's the whole person, and I can still support that person. And if you're a Trump supporter, be like, okay, I love the values that he's sort of like saying, but lots of his behavior is reprehensible (laughs) and like, and I'm willing to support him because I think that his policies are based on his sort of point of view on, on what he's saying, even though like the way he's behaving may be something that's off putting to me. But can you just say that? Can you like accept the, the entirety of, of somebody? Well, and, and again, and even, you know, relatedly sort of the idea of if you're friends with a bully, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're like, oh, you know, he's really mean to people. Ah, he just, you know what? He just likes to have a good time. <laughs> it's like, you know, like the idea of what people, what people even think of as acceptable or reprehensible or whatever. They might, ah, oh, it doesn't, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't even doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like my my friend my my friend um, has three boys that are like six and under, and the middle one is just a fucking cool kid. Like he he's definitely going to be the lead singer of a rock band or something, but. He his parents don't put him in leather jackets, but he likes to wear like cool like rock clothes. Mm-hmm. He's like four, and he was telling me my, his dad was telling me that they were at the park and some kid was like, "I don't like you," and and he goes, "Oh, what did you say to the kid?" And he just goes, "Yeah, I just told him that was fine, you know, whatever." <laughs> you know, like I think he really, you know, he probably really does like me. I don't know, whatever. I don't care. And I was like, I can't imagine being that. Adjusted. Yeah, when I was a kid. I would have. I would have unhinged me. Is does he meditate? This no, child yeah. is that. Yeah, like, he's very. Yeah, he's very much into breathing exercises yeah. and awareness. He's just and, super uh, in touch with just, himself. Yeah, but it, you know, it's just. It, it, it's just. It, it just. It's just points of view and like what you're willing to accept and how you perceive things. And unfortunately, even for you to say like. Well, can they? Can people admit that some person's behavior is reprehensible? They might go, well, no, it's not. It's yeah. like that's necessary because that's how that keeps the. Or you know, like right, or, right, right, or right. like Monica Lewinsky. Well, you know, he's the president. He's under a lot of stress. You know, like you know, or whatever. Right, right, right. It's just like it's easy to it's easy to make. Um, it's and, well, and also 
you know, if you've ever been in a very toxic relationship or if you've been in a relationship that at a certain point you kind of after a couple of years go, well, how did I, how did this get here? How are we here? Well, something strange happens. You make an, you make an allowance and then you make another allowance and you make another allowance. Yes. And then all of a sudden all the allowances just become the new norm. But it was so transitional and um, incremental yes. that you didn't even notice it was happening. And now here you are. Right. And how do you justify that and how do you get out of that because that is now part of your yeah that is bled its way seeped into your core belief system so how do you change that it's the same kind of situation yeah and it's it's that that impulse we have to just paint a really like with a big paint roller one color on something and just be like it is this one thing that's easier and it's a really is but but then if you if you really want to be honest, you really want to be sort of like uh, an honest participant in the world and observer of the world, you have to take a magnifying glass to that paint stripe and see all the different pigments and imperfections and all you that. You know, it's, it's all short-term versus long-term arguments where most things that are easy in the short term become difficult in the long term. Hmm. So if it's easy to just like paint everything one color, it's just easy now. Yes. Well, later on, yes, you're right. You're gonna have to deal with it. Where it's like you know the same thing of like I don't need to hire a plumber. I'll just fix this. It'll be easier now. <laughs> and then you know three times the amount you would have paid later yeah. because you fucked everything up in the moment. <laughs> you know, it's like convenience, emotional convenience too. Yeah. Um, can be the enemy of long term uh, for uh, sure of, of long term happiness yeah. or long term fruitfulness or he- long term health self love and, yeah. and and yeah edification it's easier to have this drink now it's easier to do this now uh-huh. it's easier to make this allowance now it's easier mm-hmm. to not it's easy, just repress this it's easier to not spend an hour a day yeah. learning a new thing cuz it's hard but you know but but over time yeah those little cho- those little it's easier for now choices <laughs> can add up to a well, now there is a fucking pile of shit uh, yeah. that I have to scoop out of. Oh boy! So, yeah. but um, that's a great. Ex- I mean, that's clearly what Teddy and his little cohort were doing in the Chappaquiddick incident. Was sort of like this is easy. This is the easy decision right now. Like I can, I can try to sort of like punt the responsibility in this little way, and then shift this aside and move this, and then ten, then ten hours later, it's like. Uh, Oh, the enormity of it. Right. Like the scale of this like tragedy starts to wa- soak in and uh, you made it's some bad decisions. Some bad decisions. Well, I'm also very excited for you for being in a big time fancy drama movie. Thank you. Which, you know, I mean, it can be a very challenging thing for people who do a lot of comedy to I, I tend to think funny people make amazing dramatic actors because you know, with comedy is a certain amount of damage, and with damage is a certain amount of depth. <laughs> and if comedy people can access that, I don't know if you, I don't know if you think of yourself as a comedy person, but but I think a lot of people would think, oh, Ed does a lot of comedy. Yeah, lot of, of course, done a lot of big that, box comedy. That's all I cared about for for most of my career. And yeah, all of a sudden now I'm kind of like, well, what do how do I, how do I mix it up a little bit? And I'll be honest, I I I tried to make Chappaquiddick funny. <laughs> I did. I got. I. Ri- I ri- <laughs> I riffed, I improvised, I, <laughs> and they didn't use any of it. Um, There's a whole other movie <laughs> that didn't get, you know, that's out um, there that if they had cut it differently. <laughs> uh, but no, it's been a really fun challenge. I don't know, just a, another challenge because um, uh, some, some of my favorite 
actors have gone that sort of comedy to to dramatic arc and um and I for a long time I never even saw the appeal. I remember telling my agents early on like I don't want to do I just want to do like the the movies I saw the the um Chris Farley movies. You want to do the David from Spade. the hip reboot. Yeah. <laughs> um, all the big summer comedies that I grew up loving, the the Austin Powers and all that stuff, that's that's all I wanted to do for so long. But now, for some reason, um, I hate this word, but maybe there's some like maturity kicking in. Maybe. And, and I'm like and starting to hit mid-40s and um, – and I, I don't laugh as easily at the same dumb things. Like, I still think farts are funny, but yeah, I don't think they're as funny as I did maybe, like, 10 years ago. Well, that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> they're still really funny. They're super funny. Maybe you should talk to a therapist or something because that doesn't, doesn't even make sense. That's, a, that's a flaw. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so it's just been a really fun journey. And what was really cool on this movie is, I, is that one of my uh, – Co-stars is Jim Gaffigan, mm-hmm. who is, as you know, one of the greatest stand-ups of all time, yeah. and someone who I knew when I first started doing stand-up in New York in the '90s. Um, Jim was like a little more established than me, and uh, and was always so cool and nice to me, and someone I looked up to, and um, and to work in a dramatic context with Jim, and for both of us to be kind of like stretching our legs this way. I don't know. It was a really fun, it was a really cool opportunity. Well, that's fantastic. And I, and I have a link to the movie now, so I'm very excited to see it. I hope you like it. Should I just give you $20? Like, cause I'm, I feel like my wife and I, cause we're going to watch it without paying for it. I, we could just each give you $20 as a, a tickets, $20, right? Yeah. I'll take 20 bucks. Great. So 40 bucks uh, yeah. for if Katie's going to stick around, you got to kick in 20 bucks. And, uh, yes, and we'll just give you. Let's go direct to artist. On the, on I'll, the I'll make sales. sure it goes to the to the movie studio. Oh, of course, and the, and the distributor and all that. Yeah, I'll divvy it up. <laughs> You're gonna end up being in debt to them somehow. <laughs> hey, I got this sixty bucks. Oh, okay. Well, since you got that, we're actually way in the red. You actually owe us hundred thousand. Oh, jeez. Okay. Fuck. Oh, boy. This is really <laughs> studio math. I don't know what to. But so I would say people should see Chappaquiddick. They should see you and Gaffigan in April sixth, and then also practice a thing once a day. And you know what? Doesn't it, whether it's a language or 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 an instrument or I'm gonna even go as far to say is even five minutes a day practice empathy mm. or positivity Ooh. or appreciation yes or 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 um, asking yourself am I right about things do oh, I man. just pra- practice that and just see what happens to your life even in just like a month or six Amen. weeks Amen. And then, uh, and if nothing happens, then um, uh, I come back that. and talk to to Chris and me, and we'll we'll work it out. <laughs> yeah. We'll sit down with you and find out what really happened. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here, Ed. Thanks Helms. for having me. Good to see you again. Always for the a pleasure. Fourth appearance on the podcast. As always, enjoy your burrito. ID ten T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. 